We're told that there are some 4,000 different religions in the world. It's hard to actually know the, uh, the true number, it, but they estimate somewhere over 4,000. So how does a person choose which of these religions to stake their life on? How does a person uh, decide between all of these options to say, this is the one that is worthy of me giving my mind to, giving my heart to, giving my life to? Are we simply left to inherit the particular religion in which we are born into? Maybe the house in which we are born into, the culture, the, the country, whatever it might be. Are, are we left to simply adopt, to, in, to inherit the one that we find permeating the culture around us? Or are we left to use our senses, to, to reason through the options, to, to explore the integrity, the, the, the internal integrity, the, the external witness, the example, and assess and evaluate and then come to a solid conclusion as to say, this is where I'll stand? Or is it that we're to use our heart to, to find out what feels good, to, that what we find to be comfortable and encouraging, that which brings to us uh, the things that we desire. Is it our desires? More than 4,000 religions. How are we to know which one to choose? We're embarking this morning on a walk through the book of Second Peter. And in this book, we find that, that there's this description as we're considering the choices before us, a, a description of what is Christian. What makes Christianity different? What makes us different if we are Christians? You know, it's a strange little book. There's, there's some discussion as uh, to the author of the book. It, it says it's identified in the pages as Simeon Peter. Simeon is the Aramaic uh, version of Simon. So uh, uh, there's a clue, you know, you could take the clue as to, well, it says Simeon Peter, so Simeon Peter must have written it. And there's also this additional reference that we'll get to in a few weeks that, that talks about the transfiguration of Christ. And we know that that was the time when Jesus said to James and John and Peter, hey, come with me up on the mountain. And Jesus was transformed. He was transfigured, and, and they witnessed that opportunity. But it turns out that we don't have as much information about Peter's later years. Like we do Paul. We have a lot of information. Paul wrote a lot of things, and, and we can look at writings, and we can wrestle through, well, is this seem to be of Paul's hand or someone else's hand? And we just don't have that information about Peter's later years. We know that Peter was described at least at one point as being the apostle to the Jews. And yet this is a text that's written to the Gentiles. It's a strange little book. There's been some discussion over the centuries by big names, names you would recognize, Luther and Calvin and many others. Of, should this book even be included in the canon, in the Bible? And it is. By God's grace, by God's work, by the working of the Holy Spirit, this is a book of Scripture for us today. In fact, even those who uh, might often uh, question the, the book, it, uh, we find that they also quote from it uh, quite generously. 
And there are many quotable verses within it. We might come to this text with a little bit of a sense it's the runt of the litter. But there's something about the runt of the litter that can even become a best friend, a wonderful companion. Second Peter serves uh, to call its readers to the, to the very uh, core, to, to what is true, to, to what is real, to that which is of God, to the things that make Christians different. And so maybe as we enter this exploration of Second Peter, you're coming to it as one who has not yet chosen to believe in Christianity, to, to believe the teachings of Christianity. And so you're coming from an outside perspective, and this is a great book to look at because Second Peter presents to us just the core perspective, the things that set Christians apart. But maybe we come to it as one who has grown up in the church, has been a part of the church for some time, and, and we find ourselves wanting to run away from the church. We're, we want to run away from it like a person wants to run away from a dysfunctional family. We're just fed up with how the church handles politics and, and uh, uh, race and, and money, and, and we're fed up with the hypocrisy and the judgment and and all we want to do is run away from our dysfunctional spiritual family. This is a great book to study because it calls us back to those things that are at the center. Second Peter reintroduces us to the things that are at the core, the things that make Christians different. This year we've been talking about I belong. I belong. What is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort in life and in death that I belong, body and soul, and in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. To belong is to be different. So we'll look at those differences. Today, our main focus is going to be on embracing our different faith. Embracing our different faith. Our passage is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open those up and we'll put the scripture on the screen as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of God. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together as well. Okay, let me throw a picture up on the screen. This happens to be a Kodak Trimlight Instamatic 18. So last week uh, I was at the Omaha Zoo with my son Matt and with Vicki and and uh, the cell phone camera was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. It was just, everybody was taking selfies. You could tell it was the Instagram moment. Catch me in front of a lion. It's just the way I want to be seen. And people were taking pictures. But back in the day, we didn't have unlimited film. We didn't have the capacity to take as many pictures as we want. 20 pictures of giraffes. Who needs 20 pictures of giraffes? Back in the day, you had to say, one for the giraffes. One for the Peguans. 
and you made your way through. The interesting thing about this um, Kodak Trimlight Instamatic 18 isn't so much the camera, at least for our conversation today. It's the tagline that they used in the Christmas advertising campaign for this camera. The camera may have gone away, but it turns out the tagline stayed. It went like this. The gift that keeps on giving picture after picture. The gift that keeps on giving. That actually provides the two parts for our conversation today. The gift that keeps on giving. So let's first take a look at the gift. The gift, and if we look at, first, or at uh, chapter 1, verse 1, we find that this letter is being written to those who have obtained a faith. A faith. It turns out that this faith is the gift. Now, the word faith, we've used it in a number of different ways within the church. We, we use faith as, as talking about our commitment. How's your faith? How's your commitment? We also use the word faith to talk about a, a set of beliefs, the Christian faith. And we might think of the Apostles' Creed, the, the Christian faith as it's presented in the Apostles' Creed, a set of beliefs. And the way that the author is using it here seems much more to be to the end of the gospel. That what is intended here is, is, is that the gift itself is the gospel, the good news to those who have obtained the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the gift of faith. So let's look at, we're going to look at this gift. We're going to look at it in three ways. We're told about its provision, about its quality, and about its delivery. Its provision, its quality, and its delivery. So first about the provision. We notice that the words say, to those who have obtained. It turns out that the word that's being translated here is a word that uh, means um, by, uh, to receive by lot. To receive by, like the casting of lots. Like, like there's a choice to be made and, and you're going to receive something that was received because the lots fell upon you. It's another way of saying that we receive something by divine will. We obtain it by divine will. And so maybe it's helpful if we take a look at the Christian story. The way the Bible tells the story. If we're going to compare religions, if we're going to look at what's different about Christianity, it's the story. So if we allow this box to, to be the gift, the gift of the gospel, the gift of faith, this gift that God gives, it turns out that in the very beginning, God created the whole world and he created all things good. Everything in the heavens and everything on earth, all things were created good. In fact, he created the first humans in his own image. Those first humans, unfortunately, chose to go against what God had instructed them, and they went their way instead of God's way. And when that happened, everything broke. There was separation, separation between humans, separation between humans and God, and it was broken. And yet God continued to give his gift providing for them and, and, and working on their behalf. It turns out that there was this individual, Abraham, in the midst of all of human history, some 4,000 years ago, God comes to this individual and says, I am going to bless you. I'm going to give you a gift in all people of the world, all tribes, all families, all nations. They're going to be blessed through you. The gift is going to come into this world through you. And as time went by, there was this time of Moses where the people of God went from being enslaved to, to having their own property, their own land. And 
in the midst of that was this covenant. And the covenant was essentially, I will be your God and you will be my people. God's gift. Yes, there were boundaries. Yes, there was description of what holiness is to look like in their midst. But at the root of the covenant was, I will be your God and you will be my people. The gift. We know that in verses like uh, Psalm 100 verse 5 that, that we talk about the steadfast love. The steadfast love of God that endures forever. The gift that is given to Abraham, to God's people as they became a nation. It turns out that we're, we're horrible at keeping the covenant. That we're incapable of keeping the covenant on our own. And so at the right time, at the appropriate time, God allows that gift of his love to, to have such a richness to it that it comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in Jesus would not die, but would have eternal life. That's the gift, the gift, the good news of the gospel. Another verse we've talked about before is Romans 5.8. And I keep repeating this because they're so good that I want them to be in our hearts and in our minds at the front of who we are. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us in this. He gives us the gift that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A text you all may be quite familiar with. It's, it comes to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's gift. This is the provision that God has made for us, the gift of the gospel. You know, we ask that question sometimes, what do you give somebody who has everything? By the way, Vicki and I are confronted with this uh, conundrum right now. My dad has shared with us that he's getting married. My 83-year-old dad is getting married a couple weeks from today. We're so excited for him. But uh, uh, my dad and... Uh, this incredibly wonderful person he's marrying, Gene, they have everything they need, and then some, and they know it. And, and, you know, you could say, well, all they really want, all you really need to give them is your love and support, but who wants to be the kid that shows up with no gift and says, but we brought our love and support as they open up these nice little crafty packages from my siblings. What do you give a person who has everything they need? What if we switch that question? What do you give the person who lacks the very thing they need? What do you give the person who lacks the very thing they need? God gives them the gift, the very thing we need, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of God's love in our midst. That's the provision. Okay, so let's look at the quality we find that Peter uh, also says in verse 1, he says that this is of equal standing. That is of equal, it's equally precious, equally valuable. What they have received is of equal standing to that which the apostles have received. 
We know that a number of years have gone by, a number of decades have gone by, and, and people are receiving this in the midst of, of a culture, and a culture that wants to frame and shape and put labels on and put stickers on. And, and in fact, there are false teachers we're going to discover in the midst of the recipients of this letter. And so Peter says to them that he wants them to know that the author of 2 Peter says to them that, that it is of equal standing to what the apostles have received. This is an interesting statement. How many of you have ever received hand-me-downs in your life? Are you a second, third, fourth, fifth child? Or, or, or maybe someone else just gave them to you, right? I, I've received them. Some of them I looked forward to receiving. Like I, I could tell my brother Mike had a certain shirt and I go, I can't wait until that's mine. And when I became a, a dad myself, I, I was so thankful for all of the hand-me-downs we got as we were trying to make uh, uh, ends meet and to have just this great set of clothes given for our kids. But there's something about hand-me-downs. Hand-me-downs tend to show their wear a little bit. Uh, they're a little threadbare sometimes. They can have stains on them. They've been through the wash a number of times, so they're maybe a little faded. And, and we can get hand-me-downs. And so what, what, what we find here in 2 Peter is this affirmation that what you're receiving, what you have received, is of the same quality. That, that we want to know, that we want to affirm that the quality of the good news, the gospel that you're receiving, is the very same gospel that the apostles received. Here's the challenge. If we look at how the gift, the gift that God gives through the ages, it happens to show up during different seasons, during different times. Uh, um, let me show you just a little picture uh, that's based on Western philosophy, just as, as an example. We could use Asian philosophy. We could look at uh, tribalism. We could look at all kinds of different ways of understanding some of the journey. But for us right now, just given that some of our history and what we might be a little bit more familiar with, we'll go ahead and use uh, Western philosophy as an example. So we know that there's the ancient period, the ancient era, there was the medieval era of philosophy, and then they talk about a modern era of philosophy. And that within each of these um, larger eras that we know that it's broken up into uh, different seasons, different philosophies, different paradigms coming through. So that even in the modern time, we know that there's the age of reason or the age of enlightenment. There was romanticism. There's the, the, the modern or modernism. We know that there's postmodernism. Uh, and so each of these cultures, they take that the gospel comes into the midst of it. The gospel is received by people who live in that culture. And it turns out people in their own culture start putting stickers on it and start repackaging it and they emphasize certain things and de-emphasize other things and and they kind of make it their own and they hand that on to the next generation the next generation sees it through a whole different paradigm let, let me give you an example of what this looks like just between the modernists and the postmodernists. And maybe you're going, well, I don't know what I am. If you're a boomer, if you were born between uh, 1946 and, and, and 1964, somewhere in there, that you're a boomer or older, that, that you might probably just, given the culture and the pop culture and the paradigm you grew up in, that you're probably more of a modernist. If you're a, a Gen Xer or beyond a, 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 um, all the way up to a Gen Z, in fact, you might even be post-postmodern. That's what they're using now. It's so fun that when, you're, when you look at the philosophy of the day, they only know how to describe it in terms of what it's not. 
And so if you're a modern person, you tend to like form and purpose and design and hierarchy. When you look at art, you like to look at the object. You like the finished project, the, the finished work. You, you like the sense of presence and what's right around and what's right here with you. You tend to be one who centers things. You like to come back to the center of stuff. You like genres and boundaries. You like to label it. Here's what it is and here's what it's not. And, and we like to label those things. We're more interested in root and in depth. But now a postmodern person, and by the way, as a modernist, if we receive the gift, we put those labels and we, we describe stuff in terms of what our paradigm around us says. But a postmodern person tends to like anti-form. They, they want to break the, the form. They want to look beyond the form. The forms are too uh, constricting. Instead of purpose, there's more of a sense of play. Let's play at this and let's play at that. Let's, let's figure it out different. Let's figure it out differently. Life, life is too rich just to be about a focused purpose. More of a sense of chance or anarchy. Instead of art being a, fidget, a, a finished project or a finished work, it's in process. It's a happening. Art is meant to be experienced. Art isn't just the object. It's the experience of that object. Absence instead of presence. Dispersal instead of centering. Text and intertext. Not just the genre. We don't want to just describe the genre. We want to look at the text and how this text plays with this text over here. And we look at the connections and we love those connections. And so you can see as the gift is received by a postmodern person through a modern person, it can come to them as a hand-me-down. And people, instead of rejecting the actual gift, they reject all the, the labels and the packaging and the, and the emphasis and the de-emphasis and, and they don't like that. And they see the, the, the problems that the previous generation, the previous mindset had with it. And so what the author helps us understand is, listen, in the midst of all of this challenge, you are receiving the very thing that the apostles received. And then he's going to go on and spend his time of clarifying what that is that you have received. All right, so if that's the provision and that's the quality, we can then look at the delivery. The delivery is this with the words, by the righteousness, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's hit the pause button here just for a moment. This happens to be one of those uh, few times in the New Testament where uh, it's just put in, in, put in black and white that Jesus is God. Do you notice the term here? If we look at the grammar, if we had the extra time, we could go and parse all this stuff, but, but there's this statement being made, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It doesn't occur a whole lot in the New Testament, but it does occur, and this is one of those times, worthy of a pause. So going back to the, the, the thought, though, that by the righteousness or the justice, the justice of Christ. So it's not by our merit. We don't receive the gift by our merit. It's not by our effort. We didn't have to jump for it. We didn't have to perform for it. It's simply that Jesus gives it to us without favoritism. We didn't have to be white. We didn't have to be American. We didn't have to be rich. We didn't have to be educated. It's just chosen that Jesus would say, give out of his fairness, out of his justice in this world. So this is the gift. It's faith. It's the gospel. 
The gift that God gives throughout time, the gospel, his love, his steadfast love endures forever. Salvation in and through Jesus Christ. The gospel received by the divine will of equal standing with that which the apostles received and is given by the righteousness of Christ. So this gift happens to be the gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving. And so we'll look at verse two now, but we're gonna start with the second half of the verse and then come back to the first part of the verse. The second half reads, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the word here, and it's um, the usual word that we use, uh, the Greek word that is used for knowing is the word gnosko. And this word is the word epigonosko. And there's a connotation that comes along with it. It has this idea of growing in knowledge. That it's a, a growing, it's a becoming more informed. Uh, a growing in that knowledge. Um, and so it's not just that there's this knowledge that we have to figure out it ourselves. But it, it speaks of a, a, of a relationship. It's a growing, a getting to know. In fact, that it's more of a conversation that's taking place. So we don't just deduce it on our own. We don't just figure it out. But that in and through God's people, in and through God's spirit, in and, God's, in and through God's word, in and through prayer with God, that God is speaking and this conversation's taking place. And God is revealing to us in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, epigonosko, in this growing conversation between you and the living God, the living God with living people, God communicating his gift in this time. So let's go to the first part of the verse. Grace and peace be multiplied. In this conversation, in this conversation, this living God speaking to living people, in this conversation, may grace and peace be multiplied. The gift that keeps on giving. Grace is God's favor, his unmerited favor being given. This grace, may God's favor be multiplied in your life because of this relationship. God has given this gift, but this gift is not just a finite thing. It's meant to radiate grace. It's meant to radiate peace. We've talked about peace before, that it is God's wholeness, his shalom, his peace, his fullness, his security. May that just flow from the gift, that, that in this relationship between the gift giver and the gift receiver, may these things multiply, the gift that keeps on giving. So here's the question. Is this the gift we want to give our lives to? We have all these choices, all these choices before us for us to choose. Even not making a choice is a choice all by itself. We have all these choices before us. And how do we choose? And the author here is telling us, listen, this is available to you. The good news of Jesus Christ. Is this the gift we really want to receive? Are we wanting to embrace it? When we look at Simeon Peter, he describes himself as a servant and an apostle. A servant and an apostle. His response to the gift he was given, is to say, I am going to be a slave for Jesus in this world. That was his response. I want to embrace the good news so much that I redefine myself as a slave of Jesus, a servant of Jesus. 
Now we know that he was, had this official role as an apostle. If this is indeed Peter's hand, we know that he had an uh, official role as an apostle, that there were these, these 12 apostles. But apostle also means messenger. And if we look at the text of the Bible, we find that all followers of Jesus Christ are his servants. And all followers of Jesus Christ are his witnesses. And so in some ways, we are all both servants and messengers, servants and witnesses and disciple makers. So are we willing to embrace our different faith? To take the good news of Jesus Christ and say it doesn't get any better than this. This is the gospel, the same gospel the apostles received. And so call me a servant. Call me a messenger, a servant and a messenger of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the God who um, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that in your giving, you have given your gospel, your good news, your steadfast love. You keep coming toward people. God, may we respond to the gift that you give by embracing it whole hog, full on, all the way. Be with us in these weeks as we look at the very essence of the call that you have for us, the, what it means to be Christian. And may we decide for you, for you, for you, time and time and time and time and time again. We give you praise. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.